This podcast is brought to you by jewishpodcasts.org. Start your very own podcast today at jewishpodcasts.org. Parshas Vayishe 5783, Here's what the says. It says, It was at the end of three months, it was told to you to saying, Zonsa Tomar Kalasach. Kalasech, I remember it's Kalasech or Kalasech. Tamar, your daughter-in-law, has done znus. Vegam hine hara liznunim. And not only that, but she became pregnant from the znus that she did. She's also pregnant. Vayomri Yehuda and Yehuda said, Hotziyua v'sisoreich. Take her out, burn her. Take her out and burn her. So we have a couple things that we have to talk about over here. But first, let's start off with the easy stuff. Number one, Rashi says the word kimmi shlosh chadashim, the chaf added on for em- emphasis over here, like three months. It was not really that three months had passed. It's not true. It wasn't three months had passed. Most of the first month, the entire second month, and most of the third month had passed. It was almost three months, and that's when they realized that Tamar was pregnant. Sivza Khamim says it had to be no less than two and a half months, because Three months would indicate the majority of two months. So it has to be at least two and a half months. And that's where Rashi comes up with the idea that it was majority row for the first, row for the third, and all of the second. And that's where it comes out from. Not only that, but Rashi learns from this in Yavamis, Lamed Zayim, and Aleph, that a woman normally is able to be showing her pregnancy after three months. Somebody who is going to have a smaller pregnancy, a pregnancy that's going to end after seven months or in the seventh month, as opposed to a nine-month pregnancy, will be showing in two and a half months as opposed to nine. And they learned that from over here. Tamar did not go full term. She had twins. She ended up having them after seven months, sometime in her seventh month, maybe seven months in a day, seven months in a few days, whatever it is. So therefore, she was showing quickly by two months and a little bit. Two months and a little bit more than that. The Mizrahi, the Gorariya talk about this. But regardless, I don't need to get into the details. They go in at length about what's going on over here. But that's the Kimishlosh Chadashim. Why do we have to mention that she was pregnant? Is it not good enough that she had znus? They have to say the gam har There's a couple answers to this. But I'm just going to go with the simple dasdekenim, the baltosos, that says that at the time, they never put a zona to death unless she was pregnant as well. If a woman was found to be a zona, if that's what she did in prostitution, she was never put to death until she became pregnant as well. Therefore, we're told she's pregnant at the time, and therefore they wanted to put her to death. There are a few other answers that are given by the Rishonim over here, right, indicating this proves she wasn't an islandist. An islandist, remember, is a woman who wasn't able to give birth. If she was an islandist, then she wouldn't have been technically married to Aaron Ona, which means she was just a single woman, then certainly, even if she became pregnant, it wouldn't be that big of a deal. Regardless, that's the idea behind it. There's a lot to talk about over here, but I'm not going to go into it. It's a long period with the Rishonim. Yeah, Shalom. We'll go into it. I've got a lot over here. There's quite a bit. So hold on. Hold on when we get into it. Now, the next part. Hotziyuha. Bring her out, says Yehuda. Bring her out. Bring her out from where? Where are they bringing her? So Yaakov Kamenetsky says the base Haskila, the place where they used to stone people, was outside of Bezdin. Sanhedrin, Membezim Abez mentions that. So it's outside. So it's likely that they brought her outside in order to burn her. Wherever they did this srefa, this burning, that's what they did. They brought her outside. The Ram says this is true by all Mises Bezdin, not just by Skila, by any Mises Bezdin. They brought them outside of a city, outside of the house, outside of the court, right? They never did anything inside the court itself. So Hutsio is bring her, bring her out of court. Court, and then burn her there. Those nine Latour says we 
also learn from over here that those judged to death by Basin before the Torah were brought outside the city to be killed, most likely so it wouldn't become a public event. I, I don't know if I ever understood quite the idea of a skila being done in front of other people, right? But I guess if it had to be something, at least be out of the city where there weren't that many people there. If it became a public event and everybody's like cheering and like sucking on lollipops while they're watching people die, that kind of puts everything down. You know what I'm saying? Like, that doesn't sound right. So they made sure that it would be outside, and that's how he says The Maral Diskin, though, he says, is part of the question that was brought to the judges. By a Jew, if a woman is judged to be killed, then she's killed immediately, even if she's pregnant. That's a Gemara in Arachan, Davzayinam and Aleph. But if a woman is judged to be killed, she's going to be killed no matter what, immediately just like that. Either because, Uber Yerach Imo, that's how Rashi says it, because the baby is considered part of the mother, and if the mother deserves death, then the baby also deserves death. So Uber Yerech Emo, the concept of Uber, meaning the baby, is Yerech, part of the leg of Emo of his mother itself, or because we don't want to delay her judgment, that's not fair to her, right? We don't want to delay the judgment. She's going to have to sit in jail wallowing in her own you know, guilt for such a while, and a blood that hasn't entered into the world yet is not enough to delay her death. That's the Ron's point of view. The Ron says that. So again, why don't we wait for the blood to be born and then afterward put her to death? Again, Rashi says, Uber Yarech Emo, he's part of the mother. And according to the Ron, because it's not enough to delay the death of the woman. The Ron would only apply by a Jew. Because by a Jew, a Jew is not chayev for killing an Uber. But a non-Jew is chayev for killing an Uber. It's a whole discussion about what to do if you have... Uh, abortion by a non-Jew. That's a very, very big shila. Abortion by a Jew is not a deal raisa of shrikos damim of murder, but it is by a non-Jew. I suggest that everybody look up what I'm saying in Rabbi Yosef's awesome tshuva about what it's like for abortions, etc. However, since it's not considered a deal raisa by us, but it is a chiyuv of shrikos damim by a non-Jew, we would have to go with Rashi's opinion because this was definitely not Jews right? There's no way it would be that way. Therefore, they came to you with this issue. Tamar is pregnant, or this, you know, your daughter-in-law. Do we kill her now with the Vlad because of Rashi's opinion of Uber Yerachimo? Or should we delay it because of the Ran and the Ran doesn't apply because we're dealing with somebody else? So that's what he said. Yudha Paskin, Put her in jail until she gives birth. Batisa Raif and burn her after the baby is born because we hold like the Ran that Oberlav Yarach Imohu and therefore we can delay it long enough until later on. So we actually delayed the death, which means according to this idea of the Maral Diskin, it could be that when, when Tamar went out and said, who did these belong to? It was actually months later after she already gave birth and the Pesukim are out of order, according to this Maral Diskin. Oh, crazy idea. Anyway, that's the Maral Diskin. That's what it says regarding that. Now, this Svorna says, here's what people were shocked by. They saw that she was pregnant and they couldn't believe she wasn't hiding it. How did she not hide it? Look, she's only two and a half months pregnant and it's the first time that she's been pregnant. That's extremely easy to hide. It's not like a person has to go around saying, like, look at, look at my stomach. She could easily wear loose clothing. It's not like she's nine months pregnant and she's a house. And she, no offense to anybody who, who is a house, right? And, and, and looking that way where all of a sudden everybody would, would stare at her. This clearly, right, would, would, it's not something that you should be able to go out there. So the Swano said this was shocking to them. They couldn't believe it. She could have done something, number one, to prevent herself from becoming pregnant, right, which most people did if they were doing snus, or at least hide the pregnancy until a little bit later, maybe run away so that no one would know about it. Here, not only did Tamar do something of snus 
because of what she was, you know, where she was. But not only that, she was proud of her pregnancy. She was going around seeming to be flaunting it to other people. They couldn't understand it, says the Sforno. They were talking to each other. That's what it says. She's going around, she's going around telling everybody, guess what, I'm pregnant, guess what, I'm pregnant. And they're just like, you're pregnant, you're not married. And you should be married. You're waiting to do Yibum to one of Yudah's kids, to, to Shayla. I, I don't understand. What are you doing? They couldn't understand it. And that, in their minds, deserved a punishment more than anything else. Barbanel talks about this as well. Now, the Nitziv and the Meshachachma also say similarly. They say most Zonos make sure they don't get pe- pregnant so they don't get caught if they do get pregnant, right? That means that they must have been Mizana so many times right, that they kept doing one thing after the other, and one time they messed up and left themselves, left themselves pregnant. They said that Tamar, when she had Znus, if it was just one time, okay, whatever, let's figure out what to do. But if she's pregnant, it's clear she's been Mizana many, many times. Many, many times. And that's something that we should punish her for. That was the idea of that, what they were trying to say over here, it says the Nitziv and the Meshachachma. Yeah, Steve. Well, the only other person was Shayla, and Yehuda knew that Shayla wasn't together with him. That's the only way, way that we would know, because Aaron and Ona were dead, and Shayla was his only other kid. But we're going to talk about the Shomer's Yavim part also. I tell you, there's a ton here. There's really a lot of Rishonim. It's mostly Rishonim. That's the craziest part. But not only that, but the Bracious Rabbah says, she was going around not only telling people she was pregnant, she said, I'm pregnant with a king. The father is a Melech, and my child's going to be a Melech. Right, knowing that Yehuda's children are eventually going to become kings, and obviously she was right. The Tosefes Bracha Baruch Hapshin says that she might be. That might be why the word Hine is used over here. The word Hine usually indicates some form of simcha. Behold, look at what I have. Right, it doesn't sound good in English with behold. Right, but I, the idea of like, oh my gosh, look at what happened. It, you know what? From now on, I think you just translate Hine instead of behold as OMG with like capital letters. Right, that's really what it means. Hine is like OMG. Right, this is what I've got. So maybe that's why, because she was super happy and she was showing people she was happy that she was that she had become pregnant, knowing that her child was going to be the father of kings, which again he was. On the other hand, the Rabbeinu Yol says that Yehuda found out about this from a mala. When it says Vayugad li Yehuda Lemor, that Vayugad is not a person. No one knew she was pregnant. The Malach knew that she was pregnant. And that's the one that told Yehuda. No one else knew. He had a dream the night that he was with Tamar in which he saw an olive and a date. The olive is a zayas. Tamar, obviously, is a date, right, on one branch. And he didn't know what it referred to. In the end, he realized that the zayas was him, referring to Malchus, and Tamar was referring to Tamar, obviously, as well. And that was that. Once he was told this news that she was pregnant, he knew it was based on the dream that he saw, and he understood it had something to do with her. The Torah Shlema said he found, it says he found out about Tamar through a dream, not through a malach, but through the dream itself. doesn't seem to argue with this, Rav Inigo. It could be together. But either way, regardless, there's something that they found out together so it's a little bit different from the Sforno than she was going around telling people she was pregnant. It seems over here that you would have found out about it through a dream, through a malach, and got it in some other way. Now, what did he say? Take her out, like we said before, and she should be burned. What kind of a burning are we talking about over here? Now, just to remind everybody, there are four deaths that we do, right? Arba Mises Basin that we have. There's Skila, in which... Basically, you put her on top of something that's a little bit higher off the ground, not so high, but not so close to the ground. She's pushed off, or he is pushed off, to the ground itself onto a place that could kill them. If it kills them, great. And if not, they put stones 
a huge stone on top of their body, which could kill them. And if not that, then they would stone them with a lot of other stones. That's the stoning. There was strangulation, chenek, in which they took two ropes, put it around her neck, and pulled until the person would die. There was saith, in which they took not like a regular sword, but it was basically like the rope itself, just super sharp, and they cut off the head, right? It could be done by the sword itself, but it wasn't like a guillotine. Then there was strafa. Strafa was not burning the person at the stake, which was tremendously, you know, painful and also kind of disgusting to watch, right? Unless you're a masochist, which, I don't know, those people that were watching out there might have been. But, like, Strafa really was taking a red-hot thing of lead, pouring it down the person's throat so they die very quickly. That's what Strafa is. So now, Yehuda said to do Strafa. Rav Chaim Paltiel says the Medrash indicates that the fire began to burn on her a little bit before she was saved. Meaning, it sounds like, according to Rav Chaim Paltiel, that she was literally burned at the stake and the fire was already going. And as it was crackling at her feet, all of a sudden she said, wait, wait, wait. And they stopped it. It seems very, very, very strange. We know that Chiyuv Sreifa is not like that, right? But somehow Rechaim Paltiel says it seems like that's what they were doing. The Moshe of Zikanim says Sorech Ian about this and doesn't answer it. He said, I don't understand the Medrash. The Medrash is clearly indicating that it was a fire, right, with a bunch of sticks around her, but that's very, very strange. He says, however, maybe the fire that was doing was not on her. The fire was to burn the lead. The lead was being burned at the time, and before the lead could be poured, down her throat, that's when she was moda, or where Yehuda was moda and said what had happened over here. Or it was just a kanas, he says. Maybe they were fining her, even though they never killed people this way. This time they burned her like they would a witch in the mid-1500s. Maybe that's exactly what they were doing because they thought it would be a good kanas to warn people not to do something like this. But there's a huge chiddush here. Paneach Raza and the Balaturim bring a Chiddush from Rabbi Yehuda HaChosid. Now the funny thing is, is Rabbi Yehuda HaChosid does not mention this in his Sefer, Sefer Gamatrios on Chumash. He doesn't mention it. But the Balaturim and the Paneach Raza both quote Rabbi Yehuda HaChosid and say, Chas v'sholem, she was going to be burned to death. Rather, they were planning on burning a letter or a sign on her cheek so that everyone would know that she was a Zona. That's what they used to do back in those times. Has anybody here read The Scarlet Letter? Because I would ask you, why have you read that book? <laughs> it's like the most boring book anyone could have ever read. But I feel bad for you now, now that you say that you've read it. But it is. This is really where it comes from. We have two Rishonim, three Rishonim really, that are saying that that's mamish. What they were going to do is not kill her, but burn something on her so that everybody would know that she's a Zona. Shilas Tshuvas Arosh and Klal Yud Ches Simon Yud Gimel says that was the custom in his time in certain places that they would burn something onto the forehead of the woman to show everybody that she was a Zona. And he allowed them. They asked him a question. They asked the Rosh a question. They said, "Are we allowed to do that to a woman who is Mizana with a non-Jew so that the non-Jew will stop being together with her? Can we ruin her face?" in order to make sure she won't be together with this non-Jew ever again. And he said yes. He said yes. The Rosh said you are allowed to do it. Now the Ramah even brings this in Evan Ezer, Simon Kufai, and Zion, Sif Hay. 
In Bissamim Rosh, in Simon Kuf Sadi Beis, there's a big machlokas, whether or not Bissamim Rosh was a legitimate Shalos Tshuva Sefer, if it's not. Regardless, he says that the Rashba did not allow this minag in Klal Yisrael. He didn't want this minag to go out. The Rashba was about 100 years, 150 years before the Rush. They lived in different parts of Spain as well. The Rush was a little further north in the Ashkenazi part. The Rashba was in the Sephardi part, a little bit down south. But regardless, he didn't want this minag in Klal Yisrael. The Ksad that Kabbalah brings this shot as well. He also says that this is what happened. He says it in Pshat. In Pshat, they weren't killing her. They were burning something on her, a little brand, so that she would no longer be together with all these men. She would be known to have such a thing. Now, Torah Tamima brings a proof to this idea in a Pasuk, in Yechesko Chav Gimel Chav which talks about Allah and Olivama. If that name, those two words, sound similar, it sounds something familiar to you, it's because on Tishabov, in part of the Kinos, we mention Allah and Olivama as Yerushalayim and the Shomron and the things that they did wrong. It's based on that parak in Yechesko where he talks about the things that they did and they did, etc. Olivama, yeah. I thought the first name was Olivama. When we read about Isa's uh, wife, Olivama, uh, complete, uh, uh, maybe I'm wrong. I, you know, I didn't look it up. I thought it was Ohala and Olivama, but I might be wrong. I mean, it's definitely Olivama. But Oliva, I don't know. Shomron what? Shomron and Oliva. Shomron, no. I might be wrong. You know what? I don't want to say it without looking it up because I haven't done Yechaskel in a while. But I'm 99% sure that it's all Olivama, but I didn't look it up. Without a question, Olivama is definitely there. That's what it's supposed to be. I just don't know what it is. But Olivama is supposed to be the female embodiment of the ten tribes and what they represented, right? It says there, Apcha ve'aznecha yasiru. Your, your nose and your ears, they removed. The Radak says, that's what they used to do to a woman who was Mazana. They removed her nose and removed her ears so that nobody would want to be together with her again. Unbelievable. It could be that Rabbi Yudah Chassid understood this from the fact that every time the Pasuk speaks about someone being burned to death, like Shimshon's first Plishti wife, Achan, right? Abbas Kohen, etc. When it comes to Abbas Kohen doing Mizunos, etc. The word Ba'esh is used. That there are Mamish burned in a fire. Over here it just says Vatisoref. It doesn't say Vatisoref Ba'esh. So maybe there was no real fire here, meaning it just meant they were branding him, branding her, I'm sorry, as opposed to actually killing her. That's an unbelievable shot, unbelievable shot. But the Panach Raza himself, he quotes this and he says, it cannot be. Because I'll learn from this, from this Misa with Tamar, we all know this, right? They learn from this Misa that a person has to throw themselves into a Kiv Shana'esh. You have to throw yourself into a fire rather than embarrass somebody publicly. Why? Because Tamar was willing to die rather than embarrass Yehuda publicly. It's clear that it's talking about death. It's clear. The way that the Gemara understands it, it's talking about death. It's not something else. The Razadamir suggests that maybe that's a smach. It's nothing more than that. But the Torah Tamima has a brilliant answer for this kasha. For a brilliant answer. He says, most modest women would choose death over being maimed forever. Being maimed forever versus death, they might choose death instead. So if given the choice between being branded for life as a zona or die, they would choose to die. So they gave them that choice. Maybe they gave Tamar that choice. And Tamar chose death over being branded. I Meaning Rabbi Yudachosit said they were willing to brand her. And they asked her, do you want to be branded or would you rather die? And she said, I would rather die. Thus, had Yehuda not admitted his wrongdoings, she would have died because she wouldn't accept a branding. She would have died. Died, 
and therefore she would have done that instead of embarrassing somebody. Maybe that's what happened over here. In the end, obviously, we know what happened, right? You would admit it, so it never happened, but that's that. But that's why the lesson can be applied here. That is a brilliant answer from the Torah to Mima. Rechaim Kiyaski suggests that even though she really was supposed to be get Saif, like any other Ben Noach, that was the death of choice for Bnei Noach, not Sreifa. This Sreifa may have been referring to burning her body after she was killed. Now, we have the concept of skila, where there are some niskalin that are also nitlin. After they get skila, they're hanged on a tree, right? That we have, that concept is there. But we have no concept of somebody dying and then being burned afterward. Reb Chaim Kinevsky suggests that. I don't know if he meant it as like a side. It's in Derech Sicha, as opposed to like one of his farm, like Taimi de Kra or anything. And in Derech Sicha, I can never tell if he means this as the actual answer or he's just giving a guy a suggestion. I have no idea if that's what Reb Chaim Kinevsky meant or not. But it's a crazy answer to say that somebody would be burned afterward because of this. I, I don't know why that would happen. Like, why would Yehuda even suggest that? Like, she doesn't deserve burial for being with somebody else? Like, it's just a strange thing to say. I don't understand it completely. The Tavaris Yonison says sometimes they would afflict sinners with harsh punishments. They would torture them in order to admit their wrongdoing and explain what happened. That seems to be the himutseis in the next passage. Maybe that's what they were doing over here. They were trying to figure out what exactly she had done and who she was with. Maybe that's the idea behind it. And the Be'era Torah says something amazing based on this. The custom at the time may have been to do that burning, you know, to brand them and to put some burning on them to show what she had done. Now it makes a lot of sense why Yehuda thought she was a Zona when she covered her face at the crossroads. Now, the way the Rashi understands it is, she covered her face when she lived with Yehuda. So he didn't recognize her now at the crossroads. She wasn't covering her face on the crossroads. She had her face uncovered. But she used to always cover her face when she lived with Yehuda. So Yehuda had no idea what she looked like. So when he saw her at the crossroads, he assumed it was somebody else, but not Tamar. He'd never seen Tamar before. He had no idea what his own daughter-in-law looked like. That's how Rashi puts it. But according to everybody else, she was covered at the crossroads. And the Gemara and Sota and Yud Gimel as well. She was covered at the crossroads. She was sitting there with a mask over her face. And says the Gemara, that was the minig of the Zonas at the time. That was the custom for the Zonas at the time. What Zonas cover their face? Who in the world does that? What kind of a minig is that? It's a really strange minig, right? But now it makes sense. They were maimed. They had something. They might have had a branding on the face, says the Be'er Torah. So they used to cover their faces at the crossroads, and that's how you knew it was a zona. So you wouldn't be disgusted if you saw her face, because there was something wrong with it. There was something they did to it. Those people would continue to do it. They had the burn sign on it. Says the Bera Torah. That makes a lot of sense. It's also brought by the Gdole Masya Hashem and Otzer Torah. But it makes a lot of sense that that's what he ended up doing. It's, it's an amazing thing. When he learned later on that it wasn't out of Znus, it was for a reason, etc., then he didn't do it to her. But apparently that was done. Again, as a timeout, I'm just going to tell everybody. I do not agree nor disagree with what they did. If this is a good idea to maim people because they made a mistake and had znus when they shouldn't have had znus. This is not my, me telling you this is what I would do. What I would do, you can come to me later and I'll tell you exactly what I would do. But if you want, you, I'm not saying this. I'm just telling you exactly what the Rishonim say and how they quote this, how they say it down and understand exactly what they're talking about. Okay, let's go to the next one. And this is the one that everybody knows. Rashi says, he quotes Ephraim Mashkal. 
who says in the name of his Rebbe, Rebbe Meir. This is what Rashi says. And by the way, Ephraim Mashka is a name that you're barely ever going to see in Shas. Ephraim Mashka, the Talmud of Remer, since she was the daughter of Shame, and Shame was a Kohen, she was therefore judged to get straight for her, for her action because she was like a Bas Kohen Shizinsa. A Bas Kohen that had Znus. Targum Yonason says the same, calling her a Bas Kohen. There are around 13 problems with this Mimer, Mimer Chazal of Ephraim Ashkol, just in shot to try to figure out what in the world he's talking about. Okay? We're going to say some of them. Some of them we're going to ignore completely. But the Sifzeh Chachamim says, she, no way she could have been the daughter of shame. No way. He had died when Yaakov was 50 years old. When Yaakov was 50. Yehuda at this time, we're not sure how old he was exactly, but he's around 30 years old. And Yehuda was born when Yaakov was around 97 years old. Now, that means 47 plus 30, this was 77 years later. There's no way that Tamar, who was married to Yehuda's young children, young children, there's no way he married off his 7 and 8-year-old, because Aaronona might have been 7 and 8 at the time. There's no way he made them, married them to a woman who was over 75 years old. That's, that's weird. That's totally weird. That's no, there's no way she could have been the actual daughter of shame. That's how the Seyach Hamim says it. The Moshe of Zikanim says, if she really was shame's daughter, she would have been 186 at the time. I don't know where he gets that number from. I, I tried figuring out exactly why 186, but he says 186 years old. I have an idea. I just don't, I don't think that's it. Either way, and Onan was seven. Again, I'm suggesting something for you. You guys can do whatever you want with your kids, okay? If you get a shidduch suggestion and your son is seven, seven, okay, and he's in second grade, maybe he's brilliant, he's in third grade, somebody calls you up and says, I have the greatest shidduch for you. She's 186. (laughs) Just say, you know what? Don't even say no. Just hang up the phone. Just hang up the phone, okay? This is not a phone call you want to take, okay? When there's a difference, I don't know, I don't know. I don't know what things are like back then. But if there's a difference of 179 years of age, that's something I don't think you should be doing, okay? That, that, that's something that I think I can honestly say, I don't think anyone's going to argue with me on that one, right? If it's a guy and a girl, well, maybe that's different. A 186-year-old guy who's Mom is just, he's, I'm joking. Obviously, this is disgusting no matter how you look at it. There's no way this could possibly be. So either way, it could be, in, in other words, she was from his family. They continued to use the name Shame because Shame obviously was a great person. Malki Tzedek, Melok Shalom, he was Shame, etc. And he was so old and so Choshev, he was on the table, etc. So they continued to use that name. There's also a Bazdin Shal Shame that may have been involved with Tamar over here, judging Tamar. We don't know who the Bazdin was, but it might have been the Bazdin Shal Shame. Again, it might have been because Shame was the one who started the Bazdin. So it was known as Bazdin Shal Shame. There's a Razada Mayor over here. Even though there are some Rishonim that say that shame was the judge of Tamar when this happened, I, I just, I, I, it's impossible. We know when shame died. We know when shame died. Yaakov Inu didn't even go to Yeshiva's shame Aver when he left Yaakov. He went, when he left Yitzchak Avinu. He went to Yeshiva's Aver because shame had died already. So there's no question about any of this stuff. I, I, I don't understand what the kash is. The Berba Sutta says, we know that Tamar was the daughter of Elam, who is the son of shame from the Sefer Yasher. Even that is very hard to believe, that shame, who was over 900 years old, had a son who was young enough to have a daughter named Tamar who could marry a seven-year-old. Okay, I'm not going to complain about that. It, it, even so, like it's possible that they had kids when they were much, much older, and they ended up having somebody who was able to be there. I'm not going to go crazy about that, even though it's extremely weird. Then he goes on, shame lost his kuna. 
how could he say she's a Bas Kohen if he lost his kuna? It was given over to Avram because he mentioned Avram before Hashem when he blessed him, etc. Right? If anything, he says that's also not a problem since the Bereba said it because Elam was a Bechor. And at the time, the Avoda was with the Bechoros, with the firstborns. So even though he lost the kuna, since Shame's oldest son, Elam, was a Kohen, he was the Bechor of Shame, and the Avoda was done with the Bechoros, that was never taken away from him, even though the full Kuna was taken away from him, so maybe Tamar could still be considered a Bas Kohen. Again, my problem was saying that Tamar was the daughter who married a seven-year-old, who was the daughter of the firstborn of Shame, who was probably over 700 years old at this time, is hard for me to understand, but again, I'm not going to put that past anybody. Again, before the... People from before the Mabel live differently. So I'm not sure if it's a kosh or not. Yeah. Why didn't you just say it was the firstborn of the firstborn of the firstborn? You could be. Yeah, he just said the Seder, Seder Yasha says straight out of Elam, the Bechor of shame. So that's the only problem. Like, it sounds like it's a historical fact as opposed to from the family of shame, which is the obvious way of putting it. Yeah. Ellie. Yeah, the pro- again, but Seder Yasha says it's Elam ben shame, and he means Elam ben shame, that Elam. That's the problem with it. Yeah. Shalom. Again, I, I know, I, I know, I, the fact that Yaakov Avinu was 84 years old when he married Rachel and Leah, who may have been 15, is definitely weird, right? It's strange, but at least that might have been done back in the day. Like, I can hear that. I, I'm, I'm, I don't know how to stretch this out enough where it sounds normal. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, 186 to 7 is not, but could it be something like that? I, I don't want to argue with it, because it could be I'm going to go up to Shemaim, and they're going to be like, yeah, it was, and I'm going to be like, oh, okay. Right? And that could be. I just, I, I, I just don't understand it. Yeah, Dave. Yeah, yeah, Miriam Kalev is my favorite one. Right, yeah, 100%. If Kalev ended up having a kid at the age of 8, like the Gemara Sanhedrin says, and Miriam at the time would have been, it's one of my famous, one of my great kashas, Miriam at the time was more than likely she was 56 years old, um, no, I'm sorry, uh, eight, yeah, 56 years old. Somebody set up an eight-year-old Kalev or a seven-year-old Kalev with a 56-year-old woman. That's also off. And then his other wife, Kalev's other wife was, anybody remember? Bisya, the daughter of Paro, who was at least four years older than Miriam. At least four years older than Miriam. So his two wives were 56 and 60, and he was eight. So again, Shaduchim, you know, that, wouldn't have a shit up crisis if we married off our eight-year-olds. That for sure would be okay. You know, then we'd be fine. But either way, regardless, the Panach Raza says, again, there was no Azhara before this. He asked about Azharas. There's so many Kashas and Safraim Ashka. Imamish can't go through. There's a Panini Akaran that says, why do we have to mention that he was the Talmud of Rameer? Who cares that he was the Talmud of Rameer? But oh, from Ephraim Ashkol, the Talmud of Rameer. Look, if Rashi quotes him, it's good enough for me. You know what I'm saying? He doesn't have to be like, he was the Talmud of Rameer. You don't have to add that on. So why did he have to mention it? He says the funniest thing. He says, the Torah only says, by a Bas Kohen when the father is still alive. You can only do that if the father's still alive. Otherwise, she doesn't get Ba'ish Tisaref. She doesn't get Srefa. She'll get the regular death of Chenek, whatever, for Ashish, etc. So he'll be embarrassed by what he did. But we just said, guys, was Tamar's father alive? Tamar's father wasn't alive, so you wouldn't have gotten it. There's only one person who argues with that, and that's Reb Meir. Reb Meir says you always give Srefa, whether the father alive is alive or not, because Arur Shazu Yulad Arur Shazu Gidol. Curses this person that grew up such a person, curses this person that whatever it is. So that's Shaykh, even after the father's dead. So the only way you could hold that Tamar was going to get Srefa if she was a Bas Kohen, even though her father had died, is if you hold like Reb Meir. So that's why we say that Ephraim Ashkal was the Talmud of 
Remer. Brilliant, right? It's like a crazy answer. The Chassam Sofer has another idea that's based on this, but either way, regardless. There are other, other issues, like the Balotosis. She might have been super young, like we said, tomorrow might have been 186. She also might have been three years old. Some say she was under the age of eight. Shame was no longer a coin. The Bnei Noach don't have the concept of Sreifa, where they get it from. There's so many, so many questions. And there are answers, but we're not going to go into that right now. Rabbi Yudah Saad goes into the concept of rove, whether rove applies by non-Jews. It's an unbelievable piece from Rabbi Yudah Saad. How do we know who her father was to be able to pass him that she's a Vascoin? The only way that we know that a regular person, their father, is their father is because of a concept based of rove, based on rove. Does that apply by non-Jews or not? Rabbi Yudah Saad goes into that. There's a Paris Yosef, a Chavatzel, Sashron. Lots of pages, lots of pages. If you want some good Friday night Shabbos reading to put you to sleep, Chavetzel Sharon has you covered. It is crazy long, crazy long. Anyway, the Ramban wonders why she was Chayef Sreifel. Again, he asks the same thing. He says, Abbas Cohen gets his punishment. She was Mazana while married, right? While married with Kedushin to someone else. Tamar, at best, was, uh, was a Shomeris Yavam. She's waiting to do Yibam. She certainly wasn't in the concept of Kedushin, right? Aside from this, right? Znus by Shomeris Yavam is only over on Alav. You don't get Chayiv Misa in the first place. What was Yudah so worried about that she had been together with somebody when she was waiting for Shayla to grow up if at best it's only a lav in the Torah itself? Aside from that, the Gemara says that Yehuda was the first person to practice Yibam. And I know, realize it was his daughter-in-law. It's a Shayla's based on Barashas Rabbah Perak Peihei, Sif Hei, which means all of Yibam didn't apply yet, which means she wasn't married to anyone at all. She was technically a free woman. There was no concept of Yibam yet. And the Gemara says, B'nai Noach were never punished for anything to do with Yibam and Sanhedrin Nun Zayinam so what in the world is going on over here, says Norman Either way, the punishment for B'nai Noach is Saif, not Sreifa. She says, I don't understand any of this. I mamish don't understand any of this, says the Ramban. The whole thing doesn't make any sense to me. So he gives two answers to this question. He says, number one, Yehuda was the king at the time. He was the king of the area with Hira Adulami and his Shua, his old father-in-law. He was considered the king of the area. When somebody's daughter-in-law sins against them, even if they're no longer married to their son, because Aaron Ona were already dead, the first thing they do is they say, it's Mizalzal the Malchus. It's shaming the king. So they go to the king and they say, what do you want to do? This woman has shamed your kingdom. What do you want to do to that person? And normally what they would do, it because of the zilzul b'malchus, says the Ramban, even though she doesn't deserve a terrible death, they would do it to show kavod amalchus, the kavod of the king that you have to show honor to the king itself. Says the Ramban, that's why they went to Yehuda, that's why he offered such a horrible death, because he said it's mezalzul b'malchus, this is what we're going to do over here, that's the idea, that's one. Not because she was a bas coin, not because of anything else, it's rather because of zilzul b'malchus, that's number one. The second thing is, is that this still took place in Sephardic lands in the times of the Ramban himself. When a woman sinned against her husband, they would ask the husband what they wanted to do. Now, the husband at this time was technically Shayla. He had already betrothed her to Shayla, saying, you're going to marry Shayla, I just want to wait until he grows up. So they asked Shayla. Since Shayla was too young at the time, Yehuda took the place of Shayla and told them, I'll decide the punishment, and the punishment is going to be Sreifa. You could either have Rachamim, thumbs up, or you can say Sreifa, thumbs down. They could do whatever you want. And therefore, they went to him and they asked what to do, and that was the decision over there. I don't like that second decision as much as the first one because it sounds so arbitrary. And especially somebody who's a tzaddik like Yuda, you would doubt that he would just want to kill somebody for no reason. So I find that hard to believe that that's what Yuda did over there. But I understand what the Ramban's saying, that there were certain deaths that were done in the family so that they knew people should stay away from it. The Rashbam, the Bechor Shor, they say that this is a punishment at that time for any znos that happened when a woman was betrothed and engaged. That was just the stuff at the time. The Rabbi Ophraim calls it a knas, right? 
According to the Chizkuni, the Dazakena and the Marshal and Yeriah Shlomo, apparently this is after the Mabel. After the Mabel, they were super careful about Arias. They were super careful about this stuff. Now, why was Yehuda with Tamar in the first place if he thought he was, she was a Zona, if they're so careful about Arias? Because again, he tried to be Makadisher. The whole point of giving the Chosam and the Psil, etc., that was supposed to be something that you hold on to now until I give you a full Kedushin later. But the whole point was that he was trying to be Makadisher and to fully marry her but not that it was just being together with Azona. She ran away, because obviously she didn't want to be known that it was her daughter-in-law. Tamar ran away afterward. But either way, there seems to be something there. Now, why was Yudah the one to decide it if Yitzchak Avinu and Yaakov Avinu were around? Why didn't they get to decide it? The Ramban says, maybe they asked the husband what to do, or by the king itself. But the Chizkuni says all three of them were there. And that's also brought by the Midrashim itself. Yehuda spoke up first. Because when it comes to Dine Nefashos, Maschilin Minatsad, which means you start with the youngest person there. So they went with Yehuda, Yehuda said his decision, and Yaakov and Yitzchak were maskim to the decision to do Srefa, and therefore it mentions that as Yehuda, even though Yitzchak and Yaakov were there as well. This is different from what happened when Lavan spoke up in front of Bisuel. You remember that? We're all like, oh, look at that Russia, or Haman, Memuchan, speaks up in front of all the other officers. That was done out of malice. Here it was done in the proper procedure, right, where it's maschilim in atzad, you went with that, and that's why it's mentioned in such a good way over here. Rechaim Paltiel also says the basic same idea over here. But again, we're running into a big problem over here, right? If she was Chaim Misa for being together with someone she was engaged, then why was she exempt from that punishment when it was found out that it was Yehuda? Even if you want to say that Yehuda was putter because he wasn't engaged to anybody, and technically you wanted to marry her, etc., she still was Mizaneh. So why did that stop when they found out it was Yehuda? Oh, it was me. And everybody's like, oh, okay. Kill her. <laughs> like, that's fine. But she still deserves death for what she did. Everything we just said still applies. Whether she's a boss conscious and so, or it was a decision made by the father, whatever it is, you still have something that happens over here. She didn't give an excuse as to why she was Mizana. She just said she was Mizana with Yehuda. So what in the world is going on here? So the Orachim Kadosh says a very, very interesting line. There was a gezerah from the Beisdin of shame not to be together with any of the other nations. The Beisdin of shame that did not only apply to Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov's kids, apparently it applied to all of the children of shame not to be with any of the nations of Yefes and Chum. When she refused to say who she was with, they had to assume that it might have been from Yefes and Chom. And this deals with the Gemara and Ksuvis in the second parak, if anybody remembers, right? But at the, the end of the first parak, beginning of the second parak, and what you do if there's a Cheskas Isser, Cheskas Nus, what do you do exactly in a case like this? It's based on a Gemara and a Vodazar, a Lamed Vav on the base. Chizkuni and Panech Raza say the exact same thing. It might have been that the Gezerah included that the Uber would be killed along with the mother if she was pregnant, if she conceived in a forbidden way. When it turned out that it was with Yehuda, the Gezerah no longer applied. The Gezerah of shame was on any other nation, but Yehuda wasn't any other nation. It was with Yehuda. And it wasn't even an issue of an erva in the end of the day because a father-in-law back in the day before the Torah was muttered to a daughter-in-law through Yibum. The concept of a leverate marriage could apply by a father 
Lava, to a dog in law. Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky has a beautiful piece on this, an MS Liakov, a very long piece and a Lumdisha piece on why they would apply over here. According to this, Yehuda and Tamar were married. They lived happily ever after. According to the Gemara in Sota, Yehuda was Mekadesh before being together with her, so the Kiddushin was valid. And that's what he was doing. And therefore, once they realized that it was Yehuda, he said it wasn't Znus. It was Kiddushin. She just ran away after the, after the first relations. And therefore, she wasn't killed because it was legitimate Kiddushin, and therefore, she deserved no punishment. Both of those answers would answer this question. I have a couple other answers, but those are the two that I really liked over here. There are Ramazim here, though, and you should just know, like, this Parsha is clearly hinting to something else. So I have four different Ramazim. I'll mention two of them right now. Right? I'll just say the Rabbini Yol says it refers to Bnei Sol, the Egel Azov. The Dego Machin Afraim says it refers to a Sefer Torah written by an apostate. If you want to try to figure that out. He says, he says in that, the Hamaskil Yavin. I am not a Maskil and I definitely don't understand. So I have no idea what the Dego Machin Afraim means. The Reb Meir of Parmeshalan says it refers to Ner Hanukkah, which is a nice word for Hanukkah, which falls out about three months after Rosh Hashanah. Kimishlosh Chadashim after Rosh Hashanah, right? Tishrei Cheshvan Kislev. About three months afterward. He says the mitzvah is to light it outside. Hotziyuha. Bring it out, the Sisaref, and allow it to burn. Vayomer Yehuda is because Rebbe Yehuda, Rebbe Eloi, Paskins in a Mishnah and Shabbos Chafalef, Chenvani Shehidlik Nero Mibachutz, Venisraf Apishton Potter is in Bavakama as well. A storekeep that lights his Nair outside and it burns Pishton, he is Potter because he has permission to light outside. So therefore, Vayomer Yehuda, Rebbe Yehuda says, Hotziyua, you are allowed to bring your Nair Chanukah outside, the Sisaref, if it burns burn something down your putter. Is that an unbelievable? It's a, it's a great shot. And that's the idea of what this Pesach is talking about called Ramea Parmeshalan. And taking it one step further, the Vayatz of Avram, it's turning out to be one of my favorite safers, says this refers to the last day of Hanukkah, which is called colloquially Zos Hanukkah because of the laning that we do on that day. Vayagad Yehuda, it was told, Vayugad Yehuda, I'm sorry, refers to Hashem, whose name is within the word Yehuda. Yudke Vavke is in the name Yehuda. Vayugad Yehuda, it's told to Hashem. He's told Zansa Tamar Kalas. B'nei Yisrael have sinned and they haven't done tshuva. Hashem answers back, Hotziyua, take out the din, don't give them that judgment for sinning. They burned Hanukkah licht. And the Hanukkah licht will save them. That schus mitzvah is enough that they don't have to worry about anything they did or any averus that they did. Since we know, we obviously know, this only works within your power, within your power to get rid of the sins. Since we know saying echatav shuv doesn't work, if I, I'll sin and I'll do tshuva later, that doesn't work even on Yom Kippur itself. And it goes on to say, maybe this is the satan trying to convince Hashem to destroy us. Either way, a Baruch Hu says, hotziyua, take out the din completely, sisoreif, burn your Hanukkah licht, do tshuva over Hanukkah, and that way you will never have a din that's going to affect you for the rest of your life. What an unbelievable remez, right? All right, guys, we'll stop with that. Have a great Shabbos.